Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 23 and 24 of Emily of New Moon by L. M. Montgomery. In the last chapter, Emily had just arrived at Wither Grange to stay with her Aunt Nancy. In tonight's story, she writes to her father all about the goings-on during her stay. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy. And your breath soften. As we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 23 Deals with Ghosts Your aunt is in the back parlour, said Caroline Priest. Come this way. Are you tired? No, said Emily, following Caroline and taking her in thoroughly. If Caroline were a witch, she was a very small one. She was really no taller than Emily herself. She wore a black silk dress and a little string cap of black net edged with black ruching on her yellowish-brown hair. Her face was more wrinkled than Emily had ever supposed a face could be, and she had the peculiar grey-green eyes which, as Emily afterwards discovered, ran in the priest clan. You may be a witch, thought Emily, but I think I can manage you. They went through the spacious hall, catching glimpses on either side of large, dim, splendid rooms, then through the kitchen end out of it into an odd little back hall. It was long and narrow and dark. On one side was a row of four square, small-paned windows. On the other were cupboards, reaching from floor to ceiling, 
with doors of black shining wood. Emily felt like one of the heroines in gothic romance, wandering at midnight through a subterranean dungeon with some unholy guide. She had read The Mysteries of Udolpho and The Romance of the Forest before the taboo had fallen on Dr. Burnley's bookcase. She shivered. It was awful, but interesting. At the end of the hall, a flight of four steps led up to a door. Beside the steps was an immense black grandfather clock, reaching almost to the ceiling. We shut little girls up in that when they're bad, whispered Caroline, nodding at Emily as she opened the door that led into the back parlour. I'll take good care you won't shut me up in it, thought Emily. The back parlour was a pretty, quaint old room, where a table was laid for supper. Caroline led Emily through it and knocked at another door, using a quaint old brass knocker that was fashioned like a chessy cat, with such an irresistible grin that you wanted to grin too when you saw it. Somebody said, come in, and they went down another four steps. Was there ever such a funny house? Into a bedroom. And here at last was great-aunt Nancy Priest, sitting in her armchair with her black stick leaning against her knee and her tiny white hands, still pretty and sparkling with fine rings lying on her purple silk apron. Emily felt a distinct shock of disappointment. After hearing that poem in which Nancy Murray's beauty of nut-brown hair and starry brown eyes and cheek of satin rose had been rhymed, she somehow expected great-aunt Nancy, in spite of her ninety years, to be beautiful still. But Aunt Nancy was white-haired and yellow-skinned and wrinkled and shrunken, though her brown eyes were still bright and shrewd. Somehow she looked like an old fairy, an impish, tolerant old fairy, who might turn suddenly malevolent if you rubbed her the wrong way. Only fairies never wore long gold-tasseled earrings that almost touched their shoulders, or white lace caps with purple pansies in them. So this is Juliet's girl, she said, giving Emily one of her sparkling hands. Don't look so startled, child. I'm not going to kiss you. I never held with inflicting kisses on defenceless creatures simply because they were so unlucky as to be my relatives. Now, who does she look like, Caroline? Emily made a mental grimace. Now for another ordeal of comparisons, wherein dead and gone noses and eyes and foreheads would be dragged out and fitted on her. She was thoroughly tired of having her looks talked over in every gathering of the clans. Not much like the Murrays, said Caroline, peering so closely into her face 
that Emily involuntarily drew back. Not so handsome as the Murrays. Nor the stars either. Her father was a handsome man. So handsome that I'd have run away with him myself had I been fifty years younger. There's nothing of Juliet in her that I can see. Juliet was pretty. You're not as good-looking as that picture you made out, but I didn't expect you would be. Pictures and epitaphs are never to be trusted. Where's your bang gone, Emily? Aunt Elizabeth combed it back. Well, you comb it down again while you're in my house. There's something of your grandfather Murray about your eyebrows. Your grandfather was a handsome man, and a darned bad-tempered one. Almost as bad-tempered as the priests, eh, Caroline? If you please, great-aunt Nancy, said Emily, deliberating. I don't like to be told I look like other people. I look just like myself. Aunt Nancy chuckled. Spunk, I see. Good. I never cared for meek youngsters. So you're not stupid, eh? No, I'm not. Great-aunt Nancy grinned this time. Her false teeth looked uncannily white and young in her old brown face. Good. If you've brains, it's better than beauty. Brains last. Beauty doesn't. Me, for example. Caroline here now. Never had either brains nor beauty. Had you, Caroline? Come, let's go to supper. Thank goodness. My stomach has stood by me if my good looks haven't. Great-aunt Nancy hobbled, by the aid of her stick, up the steps and over to the table. She sat at one end, Caroline at the other, Emily between, feeling rather uncomfortable. But the ruling passion was still strong in her, and she was already composing a description of them for the blank book. I wonder if anybody will be sorry when you die, she thought, looking intently at Caroline's wizened old face. Come now, tell me said Aunt Nancy. If you're not stupid, why did you write me such a stupid letter that first time? Lord, but it was stupid. I read it over to Caroline to punish her whenever she is naughty. I couldn't write any other kind of letter, because Aunt Elizabeth said she was going to read it. Trust Elizabeth for that. Well, you can write what you like here and say what you like, and do what you like. Nobody will interfere with you or try to bring you up. I asked you for a visit, not for discipline. Thought likely you'd have enough of that at New Moon. You can have the run of the house, and pick a bow to your liking from the priest boys. Not that the young fry are what they were in my time. I don't want a bow, retorted Emily. She felt rather disgusted. Old Kelly had ranted about bows half the way over, and here was Aunt Nancy beginning on the same unnecessary subject. Don't you tell me, said Aunt Nancy, 
laughing till her gold tassel shook. There never was a Murray of New Moon that didn't like a bow. When I was your age, I had a half a dozen. All the little boys in Blairwater were fighting about me. Caroline here now never had a bow in her life, had you, Caroline? Never wanted one, snapped Caroline. Eighty and twelve say the same thing and both lie, said Aunt Nancy. What's the use of being hypocrites among ourselves? I don't say it isn't well enough when men are about. Caroline, do you notice what a pretty hand Emily has? As pretty as mine were when I was young. And an elbow like a cat's. Cousin Susan Murray had an elbow like that. It's odd. She has more Murray points than star points, and yet she looks like the stars and not the Murrays. What an odd sums in addition we all are. The answer is never what you'd expect. Caroline, what a pity Jarback isn't home. He'd like Emily. I have a feeling he'd like Emily. Jarback's the only priest that'll ever go to heaven, Emily. Let's have a look at your ankles, puss. Emily rather unwillingly put out her foot. Aunt Nancy nodded in satisfaction. Mary Shipley's ankle. Only one in a generation has it. I had it. The Murray ankles are thick. Even your mother's ankles were thick. Look at that instep, Caroline. Emily, you're not a beauty, but if you learn to use your eyes and hands and feet properly, you'll pass for one. The men are easily fooled, and if the women say you're not, twill be held for jealousy. Have another cookie, Emily. I haven't had one yet, said Emily, rather resentfully. Those cookies looked very tempting, and she had been wishing they might be passed. She didn't know why Aunt Nancy and Caroline both laughed. Caroline's laugh was unpleasant, a dry, rusty sort of laugh. No juice in it, Emily decided. She thought she would write in her description that Caroline had a thin, rattling laugh. What do you think of us? demanded Aunt Nancy. Come now, what do you think of us? Emily was dreadfully embarrassed. She had just been thinking of writing that Aunt Nancy looked withered and shriveled. But one couldn't say that. One couldn't. Tell the truth and shame the devil, said Aunt Nancy. That isn't a fair question, cried Emily. You think, said Aunt Nancy, grinning, that I am a hideous old bag, and that Caroline isn't quite human. She isn't. She never was. But you should have seen me seventy years ago. I was the handsomest of all handsome Murrays. I was the handsomest of all handsome Murrays. The men were mad about me. 
When I married Nat Priest, his three brothers could have cut his throat. One cut his own. Oh, I played havoc in my time. All I regret is I can't live it over. Twas a grand life while it lasted. I queened it over them. The women hated me, of course. All but Caroline here. You worshipped me, didn't you, Caroline? And you worshipped me yet, don't you, Caroline? Caroline, I wish you didn't have a wart on your nose. I wish you had one on your tongue, said Caroline waspishly. Emily was beginning to feel tired and bewildered. It was interesting, and Aunt Nancy was kind enough in her own strange way. But at home, Isla and Perry and Teddy would be foregathering in Lofty John's bush for their evening revel, and Saucy Sal would be sitting on the dairy step, waiting for Cousin Jimmy to give her the froth. Emily suddenly realised that she was as homesick for New Moon as she had been for Maywood her first night at New Moon. The child's tired, said Aunt Nancy. Take her to bed, Caroline. Put her in the pink room. Emily followed Caroline through the back hall, through the kitchen, through the front hall, up the stairs, down a long hall through a long side hall. Where on earth was she being taken? Finally, they reached a large room. Caroline set down the lamp and asked Emily if she had a nightgown. Of course I have. Do you suppose Aunt Elizabeth would have let me come without one? Emily was quite indignant. Nancy says you can sleep as long as you like in the morning, said Caroline. Good night. Nancy and I sleep in the old wing, of course, and the rest of us sleep well in our graves. With this cryptic remark, Caroline trotted out and shut the door. Emily sat down on an embroidered ottoman and looked about her. The window curtains were of faded pink brocade, and the walls were hung with pink paper, decorated with diamonds of rose chains. It made a very pretty fairy paper, as Emily found by cocking her eyes at it. There was a green carpet on the floor, so lavishly splashed with big pink roses that Emily was almost afraid to walk on it. She decided that the room was a very splendid one. But I have to sleep here alone, so I must say my prayers very carefully, she reflected. She undressed rather hastily, blew out the light and got into bed. She covered herself up to her chin and lay there, staring at the high, white ceiling. She had grown so used to Aunt Elizabeth's curtained bed that she felt curiously unsheltered in this low, modern one. But at least the window was wide open. Evidently, 
Aunt Nancy did not share Aunt Elizabeth's horror of the night air. Through it, Emily could see summer fields lying in the magic of a rising yellow moon. But the room was big and ghostly. She felt horribly far away from everybody. She was lonesome, homesick. She thought of old Kelly and his toad ointment. Perhaps he did boil toads alive after all. This hideous thought tormented her. It was awful to think of toads, or anything, being boiled alive. She had never slept alone before. Suddenly, she was frightened. How the window rattled. It sounded terrible, as if someone, or something, were trying to get in. She thought of Isla's ghost, a ghost you couldn't see, but could hear and feel, was something especially spooky in the way of ghosts. She thought of the stone dogs that went woo-roo-roo at midnight. A dog did begin to howl somewhere. Emily felt a cold perspiration on her brow. What had Caroline meant about the rest of them, sleeping well in their graves? The floor creaked. Wasn't there somebody, or something, tiptoeing round outside the door? Didn't something move in the corner? There were mysterious sounds in the long hall. I won't be scared, said Emily. I won't think of those things. And tomorrow, I'll write down all about how I feel. And then, she did hear something, right behind the wall at the head of her bed. There was no mistake about it. It was not imagination. She heard distinctly strange, uncanny rustles as if stiff silk dresses were rubbing against each other, as if fluttering wings fanned the air, and there were soft, low, muffled sounds, like children's cries or moans. They lasted, they kept on, and now and then they would die away, then start up again. Emily cowered under the bedclothes cold with real terror. Before, her fright had only been on the surface. She had known there was nothing to fear, even while she feared. Something in her braced her to endure. But this was no mistake, no imagination. The rustles and flutterings and cries and moans were all too real. Withergrange suddenly became a dreadful, uncanny place. Isla was right. It was haunted. And she was all alone here, with miles of rooms and halls between her and any human being. It was cruel of Aunt Nancy to put her in a haunted room. Aunt Nancy must have known it was haunted. Cruel old Aunt Nancy with her ghoulish pride in men who had killed themselves for her. Oh, 
if she were back in dear New Moon with Aunt Elizabeth beside her. Aunt Elizabeth was not an ideal bedfellow, but she was flesh and blood, and if the windows were hermetically sealed, they kept out spooks as well as night air. Perhaps it won't be so bad if I say my prayers over again, thought Emily. But even this did not help much. To the end of her life, Emily never forgot that first horrible night at Wither Grange. She was so tired that sometimes she dozed off fitfully, only to be awakened in a few minutes in panic horror by the rustling and muffling moans behind her bed. Every ghost and groan, every tortured spirit and bleeding nun of the books she had read came into her mind. Aunt Elizabeth was right. Novels aren't fit to read, she thought. Oh, I will die here, of fright. I know I will. I know I'm a coward. I can't be brave. When the morning came, the room was bright with sunshine and free from mysterious sounds. Emily got up, dressed, and found her way to the old wing. She was pale, with black ringed eyes, but resolute. Well, how did you sleep? asked Aunt Nancy graciously. Emily ignored the question. I want to go home today, she said. Aunt Nancy stared. Home? Nonsense. Are you such a homesick baby as that? I'm not homesick. Not very. But I must go home. You can't. There's no one here to take you. You don't expect Caroline to drive to Blairwater, do you? Then I will walk. Aunt Nancy thumped her stick angrily on the floor. You will stay right here until I'm ready for you to go, Miss Puss. I never tolerate any whims but my own. Caroline knows that, don't you, Caroline? Sit down to your breakfast and eat. Eat. Aunt Nancy glared at Emily. I won't stay here, said Emily. I won't stay another night in that horrible, haunted room. It was cruel of you to put me there. If... Emily gave Aunt Nancy glare for glare. If I was Salem, I'd ask for your head on a charger. Hoity-toity. What nonsense is this about a haunted room? We've no ghosts at Wither Grange. Have we, Caroline? We don't consider them hygienic. You have something dreadful in that room. It rustled and moaned and cried all night long, right in the wall behind my bed. I won't stay. I won't. Emily's tears came in spite of her efforts to repress them. She was so unstrung nervously that she couldn't help crying. 
it lacked but little of hysterics with her already. Aunt Nancy looked at Caroline, and Caroline looked back at Aunt Nancy. We should have told her, Caroline. It's all our fault. I clean forgot. It's so long since anyone slept in the pink room. No wonder she was frightened. Emily, you poor child. It was a shame. It would serve me right to have my head on a charger, you vindictive scrap. We should have told you. Told me what? About the swallows in the chimney. That was what you heard. The big central chimney goes right up through the wall behind your bed. It is never used now since the fireplaces were built in. The swallows nest there, hundreds of them. They do make an uncanny noise, fluttering and quarrelling as they do. Emily felt foolish and ashamed. Much more ashamed than she needed to feel, for her experience had really been a very trying one, and older folks than she had been woefully frightened of nights in the pink room at Wither Grange. Nancy Priest had put people in that room sometimes expressly to scare them, but to do her justice, she really had forgotten in Emily's case and was sorry. Emily said no more about going home. Caroline and Aunt Nancy were both very kind to her that day. She had a good nap in the afternoon, and when the second night came, she went straight to the pink room and slept soundly the night through. The rustles and cries were as distinct as ever, but swallows and spectres were two entirely different things. After all, I think I'll like Withergrange, said Emily. Chapter 24 A Different Kind of Happiness July 20th Dear Father, I have been a fortnight at Withergrange, and I have not written to you once but I thought of you every day. I had to write to Aunt Laura and Isla and Teddy and Cousin Jimmy and Perry, and between times I'm having such fun. The first night I was here, I did not think I was going to be happy, but I am, only it's a different kind from New Moon happiness. Aunt Nancy and Caroline are very good to me and let me do exactly as I like. This is very agreeable. They are very sarcastic to each other, but I think they are a good bit like Isla and me. They fight quite frequently, but love each other very hard between times. I'm sure Caroline isn't a witch, but I would like to know what she thinks of when she is all alone by herself. Aunt Nancy is not pretty any longer, but she is very aristocratic looking. She doesn't walk much because of her rheumatism, so she sits mostly in her back parlour and reads and knits lace 
or plays cards with Caroline. I talk to her a great deal, because she says it amuses her, and I have told her a great many things, but I have never told her that I write poetry. If I did, I know she would make me recite it to her, and I feel she is not the right person to recite poetry to. And I do not talk about you or mother to her, though she tries to make me. I told her all about Lofty John and his bush and going to Father Cassidy. She chuckled over that and said she always liked to talk to Catholic priests because they were the only men in the world a woman could talk to for more than ten minutes without other women saying she was throwing herself at their heads. Aunt Nancy says a great many things like that. She and Caroline talk a great deal to each other about things that happened in the Priest and Murray families. I like to sit and listen. They don't stop just as things are getting interesting the way Aunt Elizabeth and Aunt Laura do. A good many things I don't understand, but I will remember them and will find out about them sometime. I have written descriptions of Aunt Nancy and Caroline in my Jimmy book. I keep the book hidden behind my wardrobe in my room because I found Caroline rummaging in my trunk one day. I must not call Aunt Nancy Great Aunt. She says it makes her feel like Methuselah. She tells me all about the men who were in love with her. It seems to me they all behave pretty much the same. I don't think that was exciting, but she says it was. She tells me all about the parties and dances they used to have here long ago. Wither Grange is bigger than New Moon, and the furniture is much handsomer, but it is harder to feel acquainted with it. There are many interesting things in this house. I love to look at them. There is a Jacobite glass on a stand in the parlour. It was a glass an old ancestor of the priests had long ago in Scotland, and it had a thistle and a rose on it, and they used to drink to Prince Charlie's health, with and for no other purpose. It is a very valuable heirloom, and Aunt Nancy prizes it highly. And she has a pickled snake in a big glass jar in the china cabinet. It is hideous, but fascinating. I shiver when I see it, but yet I go to look at it every day. Something seems to drag me to it. Aunt Nancy has a bureau in her room, with glass knobs and a vase shaped like a green fish sitting up on end, and a Chinese dragon with a curly tail and a case of sweet little stuffed hummingbirds, and a sand glass for boiling eggs by, and a framed wreath made out of the hair of all the dead priests, and lots of old daguerreotypes. But the thing I like the best of all is the great silvery shining ball hanging from the lamp in the parlour. It reflects everything like a little fairy world. Aunt Nancy calls it a gazing ball, and says that when she is dead, 
I'm to have it. I wish she hadn't said that, because I want the ball so much that I can't help wondering when she will die, and that makes me feel wicked. I am to have the Chessie Cat door knocker and her gold earrings too. These are Murray heirlooms. Aunt Nancy says the priest heirlooms must go to the priests. I will take the Chessie Cat, but I don't want the earrings. I'd rather not have people notice my ears. I have to sleep alone. I feel frightened, but I think if I could get over being frightened, I'd like it. I don't mind the swallows now. It's just being alone so far away from anyone. But it is lovely to be able to stretch out your legs, just as you like, and not have anyone scold you for squirming. And when I wake up in the night and think of a splendid line of poetry, because the things that you think of like that always seem the best, I can get right out of bed and write it down in my Jimmy book. I couldn't do that at home, and then by morning I'd likely forget it. I thought of such a nice line last night. Lily's lifted pearly chaucers. A chauce is a kind of cup, only more poetical. Where bees were drowned in sweetness. And I felt happy, because I was sure they were two better lines than any I had composed yet. I am allowed to go into the kitchen and help Caroline cook. Caroline is a good cook but sometimes she makes a mistake, and this vexes Aunt Nancy, because she likes nice things to eat. The other day, Caroline made the barley soup far too thick, and when Aunt Nancy looked at her plate, she said, Lord, is this a dinner or poultice? Caroline said, It is good enough for a priest, and what is good enough for a priest is good enough for a Murray. And Aunt Nancy said, Woman, the priests eat the crumbs that fall from the Murray's tables. And Caroline was so mad, she cried. And Aunt Nancy said to me, Emily, never marry a priest. Just like old Kelly, when I have no notion of marrying one of them. I don't like any of them I've seen very much, but they seem to me a good deal like other people. Jim is the best of them, but impotent. I like the Withergrange breakfasts better than the New Moon breakfasts. We have toast and bacon and marmalade, nicer than porridge. Sunday is more amusing here than at New Moon, but not so holy. Nice for a change. Aunt Nancy can't go to church or knit lace, so she has Caroline play cards all day, but she says I must never do it, that she is just a bad example. I love to look at Aunt Nancy's big parlour Bible because there are so many interesting things in it. Pieces of dresses and hair and poetry 
and old tin tips and accounts of deaths and weddings. I found a piece about my own birth, and it gave me a strange feeling. In the afternoon, some of the priests come to see Aunt Nancy and stay to supper. Leslie Priest always comes. He is Aunt Nancy's favourite nephew, so Jim says. I think that is because he pays her compliments. But I saw him wink at Isaac Priest once when he paid her one. I don't like him. He treats me as if I was a mere child. Aunt Nancy says terrible things to them all, but they just laugh. When they go away, Aunt Nancy makes fun of them to Caroline. Caroline doesn't like it, because she is a priest, and so she and Aunt Nancy always quarrel Sunday evening, and don't speak again till Monday morning. I can read all the books in Aunt Nancy's bookcase, except the row on the top shelf. I wonder why I can't read them. Aunt Nancy says they were French novels, but I just peeped into one, and it was English. I wonder if Aunt Nancy tells lies. The place I love best is down at Bay Shore. Some parts of the shore are very steep, and there are such nice woodsy, unexpected places all along it. I wander there and compose poetry. I miss Isla and Teddy and Perry and Saucy Sal a great deal. I had a letter from Isla today. She wrote me that she couldn't do anything more about the Midsummer Night's Dream till I got back. It is nice to feel so necessary. Aunt Nancy doesn't like Aunt Elizabeth. She called her a tyrant one day. And then she said, Jimmy Murray was a very clever boy. Elizabeth Murray killed his intellect in her temper, and nothing was done to her. If she had killed his body, she would have been a murderess. The other was worse, if you ask me. I don't like Aunt Elizabeth at times myself, but I felt, dear father, that I must stand up for my family. And I said, I do not want to hear such things said of my Aunt Elizabeth. And I just gave Aunt Nancy a look. She said, Well, Saucebox, my brother Archbold will never be dead as long as you're alive. If you don't want to hear things, don't hang around when Caroline and I are talking. I notice there are plenty of things you like to hear. This was sarcasm, dear father, but still I feel Aunt Nancy likes me, but perhaps she will not like me very long. Jim Priest says she is fickle and never liked anyone, even her husband, very long. But after she had been sarcastic to me, she always tells Caroline to give me a piece of pie, so I don't mind the sarcasm. She lets me have real tea, too. I like it. At New Moon, Aunt Elizabeth won't give me anything but cambric tea, because it is best for my health. Aunt Nancy says the way to be healthy is to eat just what you want and to never think about your stomach.
but then she was never threatened with consumption. She says I needn't be frightened of dying of consumption, because I have too much ginger in me. That is a comforting thought. The only time I don't like Aunt Nancy is when she begins talking about the different parts of me and the effect they will have on men. It makes me feel so silly. I will write you oftener after this, dear father. I feel I have been neglecting you. P.S. I am afraid there are some mistakes in spelling this letter. I forgot to bring my dictionary with me. July 22nd Oh dear father, I am in a dreadful scrape. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh father, I have broken Aunt Nancy's Jacobite glass. It seems to me like a dreadful dream. I went into the parlour today to look at the pickled snake, and just as I was turning away, my sleeve caught the Jacobite glass, and over it went onto the hearth, and shivered into fragments. At first I rushed out and left them there, but afterwards I went back and carefully gathered them up and hid them in a box behind the sofa. Aunt Nancy never goes into the parlour now, and Caroline not very often, and perhaps they may not miss the glass until I go home. But it haunts me. I keep thinking of it all the time, and I cannot enjoy anything. I know Aunt Nancy will be furious and never forgive me if she finds out. I could not sleep all night for worrying about it. Jim Priest came down to play with me today, but he said there was no fun in me and went home. The priests mostly say what they think. Of course there was no fun in me. How could there be? I wonder if it would do any good to pray about it. I don't feel as if it would be right to pray, because I am deceiving Aunt Nancy. July 24th Dear Father, this is a very strange world. Nothing ever turns out just like what you expect. Last night, I couldn't sleep again. I was so worried. I thought I was a coward and doing an underhanded thing and not living up to my traditions. At last, it got so bad, I couldn't stand it. I can bear it when other people have a bad opinion of me, but it hurts too much when I have a bad opinion of myself. So I got out of bed and went right back through all those halls to the back parlour. Aunt Nancy was still there, all alone, playing solitaire. She said, what on earth was I out of bed for at such an hour? I just said, short and quick to get the worst of it over. I broke your Jacobite glass yesterday and hid the pieces behind the sofa. Then I waited for the storm to burst. Aunt Nancy said, What a blessing. I've often wanted to smash it, but never had the courage. All the priest clan are waiting for me to die, 
to get that glass and quarrel over it, and I'm tickled to think none of them can have it now, and yet can't pick a fuss with me over smashing it. Get off to bed and get your beauty sleep. I said, and aren't you mad at all, Aunt Nancy? If it had been a Murray heirloom, I'd have been torn up the turf, Aunt Nancy said. But I don't care a hoot about the priest things. So I went back to bed, dear father, and felt very relieved, but not so heroic. I had a letter from Isla today. She said Saucy Sal has had kittens at last. I feel that I ought to be home to see about them. Likely Aunt Elizabeth will have them all drowned before I get back. I had a letter from Teddy too. Not much of a letter, but all filled with dear little pictures of Isla and Perry and the Tansy Patch and Lofty John's Bush. They made me feel homesick. July 28 Oh, father dear, I found out all about the mystery of Isla's mother. It is so terrible, I can't write it down even to you. I cannot believe it, but Aunt Nancy says it is true. I did not think there could be such terrible things in the world. No, I can't believe it, and I won't believe it, no matter who says it's true. I know Isla's mother couldn't have done anything like that. There must have been a fearful mistake somewhere. I'm so unhappy and feel as if I could never be happy anymore. Last night I wept on my pillow, like the heroines in Aunt Nancy's books do.